because it's real distracting. It's really trying to focus in on what I'm speaking because this is a very important word prophetically for our church. And whoever is going to relieve my wife and with the children, if they could go ahead and make their way to do that. But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for what you released tonight in the house. Man, I felt that. That was powerful. Thank you, Lord, for that, Lord. Thank you for the presence, the glory. And, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name there be a fresh anointing tonight in every person that's going to be listening to this. Lord, I pray that the glory of the Lord would be so thick that your Holy Spirit would captivate every person to give you their best, your full attention and their focus to zero in and really get everything out of this, Lord, that that's your will to get out of it. And it'd be a powerful, fruitful time. Speak through me your words of life. Let it be as living seeds that are sown in a good, fertile soil. Watered by the Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. I thank you, Lord, for that. We believe now. We receive it. And Lord, I thank you. I just feel that the Holy Spirit is locking everybody in right now to really receive. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Anoint our eyes and our ears and help us tune in and lock in tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This prophetic sermon the Lord gave me has a lot to do with the mountains, different mountains in the Bible. I want everybody to please hear me because this pertains to you and it pertains to anyone that's involved with the River of Life now. And I'm going to get real personal later as well about the ministry as a whole. But let me go ahead and get into this. Mountains in the Bible speak of governments. So when you're dealing with large mountains or you're dealing with small hills, you're dealing with different size governments. And Satan has tried to counterfeit this, you know, with the Tower of Babel. You can see that today with the whole um, pyramid that the devil's kingdom has as their emblem or whatever. But it's a counterfeit satanic kingdom that the Tower of Babel was. It was very evil. There's different theories about the Tower of Babel. Some, be, some people believe that Nimrod was trying to basically say, we're going to build this pyramid that's going to go so wide, and therefore it's going to go so high that even if God tried to flood the earth, he wouldn't be able to, that type of arrogance. Um, or even because they didn't have knowledge about certain things, even ascending up to heaven itself to, to dethrone God. It was a very rebellious move, whatever the whatever their motives were. But there were seven major mountains in the Bible, and they all have symbolism. There were seven major. The first one is Mount Sinai, where God appeared to Israel and gave them the law. They agreed there to enter a covenant with God. They saw God and lived. I'm going to read this. It's an amazing story. And you know, in this, there's a translation where it says that the sound of the shofar was so powerful on Mount Sinai that it was seen. That people actually saw the sound. How do you see a sound? But they saw, I guess, the sound waves, the blast. But there's a a translation that indicates that the shofar was so powerful that the people saw it. And the shofar was connected with the voice of God. That's Mount Sinai. Mount Nebo is where Moses struck the rock. And he could not enter the promised land because he acted out in anger. That's why we've got to be careful with our anger. But Moses struck the rock and couldn't enter. But God took him to the top of Mount Nebo and allowed him to see the promised land. The third mountain that's significant in the Bible is Mount Zion. David took this from the Jebusites and it's symbolic of Christ's reign over both the church and Israel. Mount Zion. Number four, Mount Carmel, where the showdown happened between Elijah and Jezebel's god Baal and the false prophets. We all know that story. Then the fifth mountain was Mount uh, Gerizim and also Mount Ebal, but that's going to be the sixth, but Mount Gerizim. These were twin mountains between the Mediterranean Sea and the River Jordan near Samaria, but Mount Gerizim is where the blessings were pronounced to come upon those that obeyed the word of God. So from that mount, they proclaimed, those that obey the word of the Lord, these blessings will come upon you. 
and they released blessings. Mount Ebal was where the curses were pronounced on those that disobey God's word. And of course, number seven, the Mount of Olives is where Jesus ascended and where he's prophesied to return. There were also six very significant mountain scenes in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus' temptation, there was a mountain scene there, the Sermon on the Mount. There was a number of healings that took place on a mountain. The transfiguration took place on a mountain. Jesus' final discourse took place and the commissioning of the apostles. All this had mountaintop experiences there. Remember this at the Mount of Transfiguration that Jesus met with Moses and Elijah. And this is where it was very governmental because you had the Christ and you had Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. And they all came together on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Elijah fled from Jezebel and went to meet with the Lord, he went to Mount Horeb. That's interesting because this was in fact part of the mountainous range in which Sinai is a summit. And Elijah knew, he knew, that when it was time to go back and meet with the Lord, he knew he needed to go back to Mount Sinai where God first made a covenant with Israel. You see what I'm saying? Mount Horeb was a part of Mount Sinai in that mountainous range. And he knew to go back to that place. Let me just say this. This has been on my heart lately. Actually, tomorrow I'm going to be preaching at a different church. And I want, uh, I'm going to share about this if you guys want to come as well. But it's important that we go back to the altar sometimes in our life of times past. Some people without meaning to have, have somewhat backslid or got away from certain things that God established in their life years ago. And it's important to go back to that altar and rebuild that altar and worship God there. And it's just like Elijah. He knew when he was in trouble, he needed to go back to Mount Sinai, that area where God, there was originally an altar built. And I'm actually going to read this to you, but it was an amazing scene um, in Exodus where God spoke to the children of Israel. Let me read this story to you. In Exodus 24, verse 1, the children of Israel had come to Mount Sinai and God spoke to them. And he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You shall come worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord. But they shall not come near, so the people couldn't, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and his ordinances, and the people answered with one voice. All of them said, all the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. So they made a covenant with God. Verse 5, or verse 4 rather. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. That's interesting because I'm going to explain the whole mountain process. Moses built an altar at the foot of the mountain, at the bottom of the mountain. Okay? I want you to remember that. With 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. So when he built this altar, they were not allowed to, to cut rocks and to make it something fancy. But Moses took earth and he took rocks and he built up this altar there at the foot of the mountain. And the, the sons of Israel came and they began to kill animals and shed blood, and they offered up burnt sacrifices to the Lord. Okay. Now listen to this. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins. The other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took a bo the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. So they made a covenant that they were going to obey the word of the Lord. Let me stop there for a moment. It's so important, extremely important that we make sure that we obey the word of the Lord. I can't begin to tell you because one of the great deceptions that Satan is trying to do in these last days is to get people where they're comfortable and they're casual with sin. You know, some people, they keep sinning so much and they've hardened themselves to where now that even though God's Holy Spirit has convicted them in times past, they've gotten comfortable with sinning and then going and praying about it like it's not that big of a deal. You understand that Adam and Eve lost everything 
over a sin that would seem so minor to me and you that eating a piece of fruit, God said not to do it. Think about it. Compared to all the sins of today, the sexual perversions and all the different sins that are out there, you and I in today's society, God's, God gave a conviction and said, don't eat that piece of fruit. Somebody ate the fruit. We would think on a scale of 1 to 10, that's not the greatest sin in the world. But, at, but God thought it was, and Adam and Eve lost everything over something like that. How much more severe is it when people are engaging in all kinds of perversions of today? You see where I'm going with this? But people have gotten to where they're comfortable sinning and then going into God's presence and praying about saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Then they go back to sinning. But there comes a point in time in the scriptures, Hebrews chapter 10, and it's a very scary thing. But it talks about that there can get to a place where there's no more sacrifice for sins remaining. God's grace and mercy extends more than you cannot, you and I could ever imagine. But there comes a point in time when somebody flat refuses to repent that the Bible says God's spirit will not always deal with man, will not always strive with man. And people can walk away and lose out. And that's just the word. So I'm just encouraging you to be careful playing and, and it being a trifle thing, playing with the grace of God. Are you hearing me? Because where we're going as a ministry, I'm going to come back to this. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, they were in church. They were God's people. But they considered it a small thing to lie to God in God's presence. And God killed them. I mean, they dropped dead. And I read to you the scripture uh, when I spoke on the anointing. And I talked about those that defile God's temple. God will destroy that temple. And it's talking about your physical body, your flesh. And I remember also in Corinthians, it talked about Paul said, hand that person over to Satan for what? The destruction of their flesh so that their spirit might live. In other words, God tries to deal with people and deal with people and deal with people. And there's no repentance. Repentance means change. There's no repentance. And eventually over time, the Lord sees there's just no other way. And so their, their flesh is given over to the devil. And now they've got some incurable disease that's eaten away at them. And now they're getting serious with God and really repenting. Now, was that God's perfect plan? Was that plan A? No. But let me say this. God's not playing around with sin. People play around with sin, but God is not playing around with it. It's very, very serious. And it's not something to be trifled with. And it concerns me because in American um, society, people have gotten so comfortable with sin that they can go and sin on Monday, Tuesday, all through the week, and come in on Sunday and just say, Lord, yeah, I'm sorry for whatever, da, da, da. It doesn't really work like that. When somebody's a baby Christian, God's merciful with that. But over time, that type of flippant attitude about sin can actually cause somebody to estrange themselves from God and it hardens their own heart to where they're away from God and they're not even in any type of relationship with the Lord whatsoever. You can harden your own heart to sin to where you're distancing and separating yourself from God and His presence and cutting yourself off. Read the book of Hebrews. There can come a point in time where God is no longer going to be merciful and gracious any longer. And it will come judgment And through that judgment, hopefully they will repent. But if they don't, and they end up in hell, it's their own fault. Because they wouldn't repent. Amen? The Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. It should lead to repentance. But you know, going down and bawling your eyes out, and then going out and doing the same thing, that's not repentance. God isn't looking for lip service. He's looking for repentance. And I'm preaching hard like this. I'm preaching it straight. This is the way it is. I don't care what... These, these people out there talk about grace, 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 grace all the time. There is a place for that. God is merciful. He is very forgiving. But if you keep playing with it and playing with it and playing with it, eventually God's going to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, then you're going to come under judgment. And if you're still not going to repent after judgment and you end up in hell, it's because you chose to refuse over a long period of time to repent and you sent yourself to hell because of your sin, not because I'm a mean God. Amen? And so God is up there calling people to repentance. Now, why am I sharing all this? Because where we're going, and you're going to see this in this prophetic sermon, we can't be playing around with stuff. So anyway, 
Moses built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And then there were some people, the 70 elders and others that could go halfway up the mountain. But Moses was able to go all the way to the top of the mountain himself. Let me paint a picture. All right. Verse 6. Moses took half the blood. Remember, he put it in basins. The other half, he sprinkled it on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. And what the people say, we will do it. We will be obedient. That's what God's looking for right now. All of us to say, Lord, we see your word. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to be obedient. Then Moses took some of the blood and sprinkled it on the people. What did Moses do? He sprinkled it on the people. So let you picture this. Moses has these basins of blood. He's pouring it out on the altar. And he's taking this and he's sprinkling it like this on the people and scattering blood, that the blood of this sacrifice that's landing on the people. It's landing on their garments. It's landing on their hair. It's getting on them, this blood of the sacrifice. Why is this significant? Watch. Moses said, Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel. And they saw God, the God of Israel under his feet. There appeared to be pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet God, he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. He did not strike them, but rather they beheld God. They looked at God and they ate and drank in his presence. Now, how in the world could those people get in God's presence like that? Because the blood sanctified them and made them holy. That's the same pattern as today. The blood sanctifies us and makes us holy and takes us into God's presence. But see, the children of Israel before this, they, they set themselves apart as holy. They washed their garments. They, they abstained um, like a fast. They abstained from sexual relations with their, their spouses. And they set themselves apart as holy. And so when God showed up, now the law was read. They were washed symbolically by the washing of the water of the word. Moses sprinkled blood on them. And the 70 elders were able to go into God's manifest presence. Even under the, the Old Testament, even under the law. And they didn't die. Now, if the blood of bulls and goats has that type of power, what about the blood of the Lamb? The blood of Jesus can take you into God's glory, but you can't trifle with these things. Now watch. It says this. They saw God, and they ate and drank. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there. I'm talking about mountains tonight. And I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua's servant. Moses went up to the mountain of God. But the elders, he said, wait here for us until we return. Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Anyway, so Moses ascended up to the top of the mountain. A cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. And a cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses in the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, there appeared of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountain. Remember me talking about that? Like a fire on top of buildings where revivals had taken place. Moses entered in the midst of the cloud and he went up to the mountain and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a pretty amazing story. And even under the Old Testament law that the children of Israel, the 70 elders in them could go into God's presence like that and see God and eat and drink in his presence because they were covered in blood. Psalm 24.3 Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face, the God of Jacob. And this is what I felt from the Lord. I want you to picture at the bottom of the mountain that being like the outer court of the tabernacle. The middle of the mountain being like the holy place. And the top of the mountain being the holy of holies. Mountains speak of government, but also it speaks of coming into God's presence. Symbolically, a few years ago, we would have been kind of at the bottom of the mountain. But in 2011, God began to move this ministry up into the middle part of the mountain. Where we begin to have a tenfold increase of anointing. And a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. 
But we have been prepared, and I believe God is about to take this ministry to the top of the mountain. And I want you to think about this for a minute. If we've just been in the middle of the mountain seeing what we're seeing, what's at the top of the mountain? Seriously. If we've been in just the holy place, then my goodness, what's going to be the holy of holies, so to speak? But we're about to go into a whole new level. And that's why I'm preaching like I am tonight, to warn people you can't play with these things. We've been prepared to ascend the hill of the Lord. Our flesh also is like the outer court. The soul is like the holy place and the spirit is like the holy of holies. But God has taken us up to a new place of anointing, a new place of glory. And I feel the Lord saying there's a promotion in God and the suddenlies of heaven breakthroughs are about to happen. My wife saw this in a vision where she saw the wind open up a door. And there was three successive doors that blew open really violently strong, just blew open of, of uh, healing, prosperity, then the harvest. So this is the prophetic part. I just mentioned going up to the top of the mountain. But here's what the Lord showed me. Isaiah 49, 3 in the Amplified. It says, the Lord said to me, you are my servant Israel. You who strive with God and with man and prevail in whom I will be glorified. In other words, I feel like this ministry has been wrestling with God in a good way, like Jacob did in a good way, wrestling with God. There's a destiny. There's, a, there's something of a mantling that God's allowed on this ministry. And attached to the mantle is a harvest of souls, revival, and other things that God has promised. And it's like it's attached to that mantle. And it's a matter of time. And God has spoken through prophets that this would come. And there's been a great preparation, great preparation. But I feel like Jacob that wrestled through the night, it's like we've been wrestling with God about these things in prayer and fasting, intercession. And I feel like the Lord's saying that we have prevailed. And now it is time to start seeing some things happen. It really is. It's a season change. Listen, there's been many, many season changes in times past where God was doing a new thing. This is bigger than that. This is a season change where we're leaving what was and starting to move into what has been prophesied. That's a big difference from previous season changes. So I don't want you to get in your mind like it's been like in times past. This is a significant season change where things are beginning to open up. And Isaiah 49 is a very, very prophetic scripture for our ministry. He said, listen to me, you islands, hear this. The islands speak of the Gentiles. You distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb and has spoken my name. He's made my mouth like a sharpened sword. See, God's been preparing us. He's made our mouths like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hit us. He's hit us in his glory. He's made us into a polished arrow. God has been polishing up people and cleaning people. He's concealed us in his quiver. He said, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. See, how many of you have felt at times I've labored in vain? But the Lord says, this is not true. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, it is, small, it is not a small thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those Israel in Israel I have kept. I've also made you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. In other words, God has chosen this ministry, chosen us to be a light to the lost. That's what I feel. And there's been a great preparation for this. So here's some more prophetic. There's been a great progressive training that has taken place over the last couple of years through warfare and revival that has been climbing up the mountain of God. And I saw as I was getting this, just like the book, The Final Quest, where there was like an ascending the mountain of God. And when you got to the top, it was God's manifest presence, the Holy of Holies. But there was an ascending the mountain. And the Lord showed me over the last couple years, there's been a great preparation of warfare and revival that we've been climbing the mountain of God. The tenfold increase of anointing was moving us into the holy place. But what we're about to enter at the mountaintop is more of a holy of holies experience that will be connected to a harvest 
and prophecies being fulfilled. We are entering a season of breakthroughs and the glory of God's presence like never before. And I feel the Lord saying to be ready for quick changes. And that's important. Because, you know, we may have to quickly do some things, quickly move, quickly do this. Be ready for quick changes. Swift doors are opening. And things that have been prayed about for years will suddenly begin to happen. Let me read that again. Be ready for quick changes. Swift doors are about to open. And things that we've been praying about for years will suddenly begin to happen. Did everybody hear that? Because you're awful quiet for something like that. Let me try it one more time. The Lord says there's quick changes, swift doors opening, which I believe that my wife saw in that vision. And things that we've been praying about for years suddenly beginning to happen. That's powerful. This is a reward for faithfulness like the persistent widow because we have not given up. Luke 18, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about people. He didn't care what they thought. He didn't care at all. But there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused because, you know, he just didn't care. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. So she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith on the earth. So the Lord is saying these delays are not denials. It's just that the Son of Man, when he comes, he will find faith on the earth. And faith is tested with time. Faith is tested with perseverance. But the Lord says, if the unjust judge will give justice, how much more will your Father in heaven give you justice? You, some of you have been crying out to God about certain things. God, It's not like God hasn't heard you. And it's not like he's delaying. It's just that it's his timing. He's been developing faith and perseverance in you and doing a work in you of preparing you. There are people that are waiting in the wings for anyone that departs. We've had some people in the, in the years past that have left. Um, I believe that it was not the will of God, but they left through rebellion and different means. It was foolish. But the Lord has replaced them. And the Lord says to those here, that if anyone else leaves, don't worry about it because they will be replaced too. There's a harvest in front of us and laborers are being prepared in our midst. And Reverend Anthony has done an amazing job preparing harvesters. And I feel like that God has been preparing people to be harvesters. And the harvest is about to come. I really believe that. There's also a spiritual net that is forming that will have the strength to pull in the fish and not break. That's significant. Revival will continue and increase in many ways. Get ready to break into new realms of God, God's glory. We've previously been unable to enter, but God has been preparing us, and now we're going to be able to enter. So see, as we move and we go from this, we've gone from the bottom level to the middle, and once we go from the middle level of the mountain to the top and we move into the Holy of Holies, let me tell you, this is an area where you've got to get serious with God. You've got to get serious with your Christian walk. You've got to get serious about sin. Because God will judge sin in His presence. He really will. The same glory that will work and heal your flesh and strengthen you and empower you and refresh you and all of that, it's amazing, it's wonderful, we all want that. But that same glory, if you play with it, will begin to work against you in, in judgment. Let me read Hebrews. I love this scripture. All right, I believe it's Hebrews chapter 12. Moving from preparation to the mountain of God. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's what I feel the Lord saying. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. But see, this is where I wanted to get. In our struggle against sin, we have not resisted to the point of shedding our blood. And have you completely forgotten his word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Some people have been frustrated with the trials that you've been going through. But let me tell you that all of that has been the discipline of the Lord that's been preparing you. It's not a bad thing. God's actually been working in you and, and changing you and developing you. So the Lord says in verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not God's legitimate children. That's, that's a word right there. See, if you were not disciplined by God, that would mean that you're not even his child to begin with. So the fact that God is disciplining you, he's tailor-made some trials, he's put you through some things. God is saying, you're my son, my daughter, and I'm trying to develop you. I'm disciplining you. I'm helping you. Discipline isn't fun. I mean, all of you remember growing up and getting disciplined, whether it was spanked or grounded, and it wasn't fun at the time. But now that you're an adult, all of that preparation, when you were a child, helped you now to be somebody that's not a rebellious little brat that's self-centered. Your parents broke that in you. Amen? If you had never been disciplined in your entire life, your, your life, you would have been completely 100% selfish. You wouldn't have cared about anybody but yourself. And you would have been somebody that probably wouldn't be able to hold down a job and have a horrible marriage because nobody could stand how self-centered you were. But see, your parents broke that in you when they disciplined you growing up. They broke that rebellious streak. They broke some of that pride in you. And they, and they put you on the right path through their discipline. That's what God is doing. Verse 9, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and, re and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us, the human fathers. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God's discipline for us, for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. See, God's been, He's been trying to take us to this top of the mountain. But you've got to go through the discipline that brings the holiness. And some people would say, well, that's, that's the law, that's the Old Testament. I beg to differ, because in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira were in the midst of revival, in the Holy of Holies, if you will, of revival fire. God had poured out on the day of Pentecost. They were right in the middle of it. They were Christians. They were part of the body of Christ, just like anybody else. But they played with sin in God's presence and they were struck dead and that's in the New Testament God's discipline verse 11 seems pleasant does not seem pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it you've been trained therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed now, this is what I want to start closing with right here. Make every effort to live with peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's what God is saying. He's saying that we've got to be holy before Him. And yes, we are made holy by the blood of Jesus. We all know that. Positionally. But that it's more than just that. It's that the Holy Spirit is cleaning up our lives so that our lives outside of church is just like our lives in church that we're living a righteous life before God. Are there things that God has convicted you of that you're still playing with? Let me encourage you to get rid of that. If there's things that the Holy Spirit is trying to deal with in you, submit to that. Don't play with it anymore. People have no idea how deadly this is. That, listen, I've heard of people that have played with sin. There was one man, this is a true story. He was a divisive troublemaker in the church. Is that some church? I'm not going to say where. And he just would not repent. And the pastor went to him and talked to him. He was somebody, if I remember the story correctly about this detail, I think he was somebody who had a lot of money, but he sat like on the board 
He had an authority position. It was one of those churches where everything's voted on. It's a political thing. And he, that pastor and him, he was constantly wrestling with this guy. And this guy was always stirring up trouble. And they, they were putting on a Christmas play in the church. And they had actors. They had you know somebody playing Jesus, people playing the disciples, all of that. And they were putting on this Christmas play. And this troublemaker guy was, was a part of the scene where it was the, the Lord's Supper. True story. While they're putting on that play, just previous to that, the pastor had talked to him, please stop rebelling, please stop causing problems. And that man just said, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, I don't care what you say. They were up there on the platform, and it was the Last Supper. They were acting it out, and they were taking communion. And when that man drank of the cup, he dropped dead on the platform in front of the entire church. And that's a true story. Let me tell you that I've heard of other stories. There was one guy that uh, he, he was a control freak in the church. And this pastor had come in and was preaching on the power of God. And he didn't like that. He didn't like revival. And he so despised revival and despised that pastor that had been voted in that church. He so despised all of that that he hid in the shadows. And when the pastor came in, he just started hitting that pastor, punching him. And he would not repent. And did you know that that man had a major stroke and it paralyzed him almost completely? And at the same time that he had that major stroke, his blood sugar level shot up to where it blinded both of his eyes. And God dealt with this man harsh because he would not repent. And he was laying in the hospital bed blind and he was he, he had a major stroke so he was crippled for the most part. And he's laying there in bed and that pastor felt so sorry for him that the same pastor he had punched and everything else and gave so much, caused so much hell in that church. But that pastor felt sorry for him, went to see him, and he couldn't even talk because he had had that stroke. And the pastor just went there and told him, man, I love you and I forgive you and prayed for him. And he said that the, the hospital room was kind of dark. It was, it was late, but there was a, a light shining in the room. And he said he could see a tear going down that guy's face. The guy couldn't even communicate, but, it, but he felt remorseful at that point. But see, why did it have to get to that point before somebody repents? You know, in the bed there, there was tears then. Why wasn't there tears before that so that that did not have to happen? That's not God's plan. That wasn't plan A. Plan A was that God said, by the Holy Spirit says, stop doing that. You're wrong. Repent. Change. Quit doing it. And I'll bless you. But he wouldn't listen to that. And on and on the stories go. There's people today that are out of church away from God because they would not deal with their sin. There's people... That, that whether it was sexual sin or different idols in their life, God dealt with them and they would not repent. An idol can be anything. It can be music. It can be relationships. It can be sports. It doesn't matter what. If there's idols in people's hearts, if they don't repent, eventually that's going to be their downfall is that idol. And I don't want to hear of somebody as we start moving into the mountain of the Lord and we start seeing more of his presence than we've ever seen and prophecies start being fulfilled all of a sudden all these prophecies that have been so powerful from very credible people the harvest starts trickling in things are happening and i don't want to hear about somebody we all love and care about coming under god's judgment because they're playing with it they're playing with the glory they want to live in sin over here but then they want to come to church and act like everything's okay and listen i don't want to hear about that they were warned and warned and warned and spoke to and, and people pleaded with them and prayed for them. And now there's something really serious going on in their life. I mean, serious. I don't want to hear about that. This is, this is serious business when you're ascending the mountain of the Lord. And you probably won't hear a lot of sermons like this, but I'm preaching it straight out of the Bible. Everybody, for the most part, even, even a lot of churches out there, seeker-friendly type churches, they... They use the word revival as a buzzword because it's a popular word. But revival is very serious business. Because in the scriptures, Old and New Testament, you don't ever play with God's presence. God symbolically put his presence, I mean it was literally there in the Old Testament, but in this ark. Okay. In, in this ark, excuse me, 
that had the cherubim and God's presence, His glory was in this ark. But if you messed with that ark inappropriately, you dropped dead. You see what I'm saying? You go up. It didn't matter who you were. You, you could have been the high priest, the king. It didn't matter who you were. You go in there and start playing with that box. And they're going to be dragging you off and digging your grave. And God was trying to show us that you don't play with his presence. That his presence is a very serious thing. Amen? And God is very serious about the fact, just like this last Passover, God laid on my heart to go through and I prayed over everybody. Remember this? Applying the blood to everybody's life fresh. And there was such a deep consecration. People told me they just kind of melted. They just felt just a deep work in their life. And after that, after the blood was applied, there were some people that really got delivered of a lot of things. Why? Because the blood broke the power of that. And then over the next couple months, people started getting delivered and set free of all kinds of things. Then God laid on my heart. We had a Pentecost service. It was awesome. And then God put on my heart to speak on the anointing. We went through and anointed everybody. And people told me, Pastor, I felt different. Something was powerful. I mean, a deep, deep work in my life, a deep consecration. You know what God's doing? He's deeply sanctifying you and setting you apart so that you can go up to the mountain of God and be in his presence. But what you don't want to do is take the temple of the Holy Spirit that God has sanctified and then go out and defile that temple and go into God's presence and act like everything's going to be okay because I'm going to tell you God's merciful and he's gracious, but there'll come a point in time if you keep playing with that that you'll end up with a problem, a serious one, whether it's some kind of a disease some kind of a, a major issue break out in your life. You're like, what happened? Why did God let this happen? Because the Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And don't give him a foothold. We're the ones that are opening the door sometimes to the devil. And when he comes in, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. All right, let me start closing with this. The mountain of the fear, a mountain of fear and the mountain of joy. Isn't that interesting? The fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. The Bible says you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. This is Mount Sinai he's symbolically speaking of. To darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet, a shofar blast, to such a, a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them because they cannot bear what was commanded. If even an animal had touched the mountain, it was to be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. No, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than able. See, you've had the blood of Jesus sprinkled over you. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us in heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth but the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that, that, uh, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Isn't that an awesome scripture? That's the prophetic word of the Lord. The Lord says that we're about to go into a whole new realm of his presence. And I believe when we step into that realm, here's what I believe. Is I've been praying about all this and getting revelation from the Lord. My wife had a vision of this door opening. I believe that that has to do with us going up to the top of the mountain. I do. Remember in Revelation, it says there was a door open and a voice said, come up here. Many people believe that's, that speaks symbolically of the rapture, and it probably does. But nonetheless, we can go into God's presence. And I believe that, that she saw a door open where God was bringing people up into his manifest presence like never before. Now think about that. If we've only been seeing what we've been seeing, and we've only been on this level, what's it going to be like at this level? I'm sitting here just kind of like, this is really going to be an amazing ride. 
And so anyway, God's taking us up there. But then once we got up there, what? She saw the vision after that of three doors busting open. There was healing, prosperity, and harvest. There's been prophecies over this ministry for many years. And I mean from credible people of a great harvest of souls, um, revival, effective doors. I've had numerous prophecies of an amazing healing ministry, different things like that. And I could go on and on. There's several other prophecies. But I really believe as we go up the mountain of God and we get into his manifest presence, that we're going to start seeing prophecies fulfilled. And God has not been slow in this. He's just been patient. There's been a sifting. There's people that did not want to repent and deal with stuff in their life that they should have. And they got rebellious. And now they're not here to enter that. And it's sad. Some of them left and they weren't even able to enjoy the tenfold increase of anointing that took us up to the middle of the mountain. And they missed all of that. It was sad because some of them helped pray, you know, pray in that. But then because of issues in their life, they, they're gone and they couldn't even enjoy the very thing that they helped pray in. And some of you have been helping us pray in the top of the mountain. And I hope that you're here to enjoy the top of the mountain when it comes. And prophecies being fulfilled. I hope you are. But you got to understand, the devil, it's not a joke. And, and people make a lot of warfare, but warfare is not a joke. Okay, it's not a joke. The devil is not powerless completely. There is some power there. And they're, they're intelligent and powerful beings, and it's not something to joke around with. Now, people talk about spiritual warfare, and they talk that the devil's a big idiot, has no power, and all this, and make fun. They don't have a clue. But let me tell you this. Regardless of all that, greater is he that's in us. And we're promised victory over it anyway. But just don't take it lightly like it's a big joke when it's not. Warfare is serious, but we can overcome. And let me finalize this word with this. We're about to break into this new level. We're right at it. Okay? God's given me this sermon about mountains. Okay? We're about to ascend the hill of the Lord. And, I mean, it's close. I mean, I feel it. And we need to be ready for swift changes because there may need to be some things where we have to do some things really quickly, move, do this, that, and the other, whatever, and it have to be a suddenly. But you need to be ready for that and be okay with it. When the people of God left Egypt, the word, the name Egypt, rather, means like double straits. We use the word, the phrase dire straits to represent really difficult times. And what is trying to be kind of a picture painted is this. When you go to leave Egypt, when you go to leave where you were, for us, the middle of the mountain, and you go into stepping out of that into the call of God to the next thing, it's like going through dire straits. It's like squeezing through and pressing through. How many knows the children of Israel, God could have, if he wanted to, snapped his finger, everybody in Canaan dropped dead, and they would have just went in. But it wasn't like that. God said, you're going to go into Canaan, and you're going to fight tooth and nail for every inch of ground you take. I'll be with you, and I'll give you victory, but you're going to take it by force. And I feel the Lord saying that we're going to be pressing through some resistance, but it's not a bad thing. And there's a reason for it. If there wasn't a reason for it, God wouldn't make us go through it. So there's going to be some resistance. Number two, Satan tries to act like a python. He tries to restrict Christians, confinement, containment, and he tries to use the mouth of other Christians to curse us, and that's the truth. And when other Christians start speaking gossip, slander, and cursing, it can cause like where the enemy starts trying to wrap around and confine, and you've got to be aware of that and break that. That's, that's religious witchcraft from Christians. You've got to break that. When the children of Israel went to leave Egypt, it's like the taskmasters began to press down really hard on them. Remember that? When you go into the next level, the enemy you faced in your past that's currently coming against you, okay? They're not just going to just sit back and be like, oh, okay, they're leaving this level. Okay, enjoy your ride. You know, they're not going to do that. They're going to they're try to press down and resist that but it's not going to work remember God drowned the army 
that was coming after Israel. He'll drown your army too. So when you're about to cross the Jordan, so to speak, when the children of Israel went to cross the Jordan with Joshua, I'm sorry, with Moses, when they went to go cross it, they faced two kings, Sion and Og. Sion means tempest. Og means round and lazy. So we kind of get a picture of what he probably looked like. And they stand before you. But let me just say symbolically what it represents. The tempest is the storm. You go to, to possess your promised land and what? There's a storm of the enemy that stirs up against you. A tempest. And your greatest enemy, the og, ground and lazy, your greatest enemy is to then sit back because it's hard and give up and be lazy and not press through that's your greatest enemy. So there's going to be some resistance, but it's still going to happen. It's still going to break through. I just hope that in the resistance that we don't lose people. But the Lord says even if we do, He's going to replace them. And there's people waiting in the wings to fill that void. Okay. But God is taking this ministry into a great revival and there's a harvest. But I also believe this. I believe that God is going to bring all of us individually to a place to where this is going to be something maybe unique and powerful going on in River of Life. I don't know if it's going on other places. But I see it with my spiritual eyes that eventually one day we're going to be at a place where a lot of people in the ministry, they wake up in the morning, they spend time with the Lord, and they're getting like little assignments. And that assignment for that day might be you know, to go to Walmart and you're going to see somebody that's in, got a cast on the right arm and pray for them. Or the assignment the next day may be to go up to the local 7-Eleven and there's going to be a guy that looks like some description and you're to witness to him. And I'm not saying it'll happen every day, but it's going to become something where there's going to be a lot of people in this ministry that are getting assignments. They get up and pray in the morning, they worship, they're praying, and God's downloading little assignments. And they go out and it's going to be very powerful. So there's going to be the net that's cast, that's going to be bringing in this prophesied harvest, but there's also going to be individual fishing going on in people's lives. They're going to be on these little assignments where God is using them to bring in a harvest. Isn't that awesome? So that's the word of the Lord. And it's a warning, but it's also a great promise. And I feel it. I feel like we're about to go right into it. Okay? So let me ask you this, as I, as I close and we pray, but how many of you guys, without raising your hand or anything like that, you really want to go into this? You really want to go into this promise of the Lord? We've had, we've had prophecies, and I know, I know it's coming. God's got a great move of the Spirit, great things on the horizon. We've tasted of it. But I want to go into the fullness. And I believe that there's going to be such a move of the glory of God that people, even in worship, there, there's going to come a time where even during worship, there's people that literally cannot stand. They're just going to be getting weak in the glory because it's so intense that they're not going to have a choice. They're going to have to sit down or lay down because they're just melting. And we're going to have more and more encounters like that. And in the worship, there's going to be outbreaks of miracles. Major things. People are just going to be worshiping God and have creative miracles. It's going to be amazing. Y'all ready for it?